You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 360, Adventures in the Apple Store, Why Juliet Will Never Lose Her Car, and The Worst Lyrics of All Time. It's all coming up after New Order and Regret.
Right, and now at the time we record this podcast, their World uh, Cup song from 1990 is receiving a lot of airplay. This was their next single after World in Motion in 1990, number 28 on the Billboard Hot 100, number 4 over here in the UK, New Order and Regret. I think New Order had such a classy sound at that point. Mm. I know that we've I've picked Fine Time for the podcast before, mm. and I, I just... I, you know, I think that they moved into quote-unquote dance music in a in a very uh, graceful way. I think compared to some people, it always felt like a natural extension of their sound after Blue Monday, rather than necessarily some of the baggy era bands going all well, quick. Let's go dance. Rave is popular. And it's still quite a shock to the system, really, the, the jump from um, Joy Division uh, to yeah, uh, Regret and World in Motion. Uh, very true. Although, don't forget, of course, that that was over a period of, you know, about nine or ten years that they went from, so, from, yeah. from that place. to. And so they genuinely are one of the bands that I feel evolve when other bands don't. Welcome to the podcast from the Parish Council. It's episode 360. How uh, are we here? How are we here? We did the three. The, we should make some crack about yes. us looking at all issues from a 360 degree angle. I'm kind of saving up for 300, episode 365 as well, because, oh, like, you know, one for every day okay. of the year I, and all that sort of thing. Oh, very nice. I'm still here. I'm, I'm here for episode 666, obviously. <laughs> Whether or not the rest of the world is is perhaps another matter. Uh, I'm Terence Stackham, and indeed, here she is, the Cristiano Ronaldo of broadcasting. <laughs> it's Juliet Harris. That's a, that's a, I, I don't want to dig into this metaphor too mm. deeply for fear of what I might find, but anyway, hello. Um, many of us rely so heavily on our smart devices and I, i'm mm. as addicted as anyone um that if something goes wrong it can feel like a catastrophe really i've had my iphone 5 for about four years and recently the the battery's been getting really really hot and expanding it's been pushing the screen out which is obviously not a, a good thing i mean it's always good to push at the margins but not in this instance is not it, in really? this case no so i contacted apple chat online an appointment was made for me at a store in windsor in berkshire i double checked and i asked this person on the apple chat are you sure they can repair it in windsor because it's not an apple store it's just a partner store oh yes no problem they said and of course i turned up in windsor at the appointed time mm-hmm, on monday mm-hmm, of this week mm-hmm. oh no we can't deal with that here you'll have to go to a proper apple store so mm-hmm. on tuesday off i went to a large shopping mall west of london uh, to mm-hmm. the proper apple store where the service was excellent so there was a contrast to the apple chat thing this was excellent i did end up having to buy a new phone but as the cheerful apple man said these rechargeable batteries um, on iphones they degrade after about four years so mm, you've had a good run I of it i suspect they're designed to possibly yes it's not something they, they tell you when you buy the things now my phone needed to be upgraded this new phone needed to be upgraded to the latest operating system but mm. apple servers were very busy so i was in the apple store for an extraordinary well it was over an hour and a half wow i would have pitched camp if it had got to oh that my lord i know i was sitting there for ages um whilst it sort of downloaded and installed this ios 11 or whatever the chap was so kind he said look i don't want you to go without it being completely set up ready to run your home screen there everything ready so that was that was lovely 
Um, so rather than stare at the phone screen for 90 minutes while this was going on, I looked around at my fellow visitors to the genius bar, as they call it. And oh, absolutely, yes. I, I was always nervous about going to those because I, I didn't oh, feel yes. I was sufficiently qualified. And then someone explained to me, no, it's meant to be geniuses that work there, yeah, not necessarily geniuses that attend there. It was so noisy. It was, a, it was a big, in a shopping mall, it was a big open store, and it was just crammed with people. And this was my point. I was just genuinely shocked at the attitude of so many of the people, customers mm-hmm. at the Apple store, all, by the way, all mature, middle-class-ish people of the home counties. Of course you're there because your Apple device has gone wrong. So, uh, But so many of the people arrived at this genius bar with a confrontational air, as if it was the fault of the young people in the green Apple T-shirts. And then when they were told, for example, that their Apple warranty had expired six months ago because they hadn't renewed it, this particular woman became all huffy and officious. Oh, no. I need my phone. Um, The the repair was 200 quid, so she she just sort of stormed off. And I just saw and heard a whole trail of people being shouty and disrespectful, all taking out their anger on these generally very young employees of Apple, Mm. probably not on, you know, much more than the living wage. And it was as if they thought there was a widespread widespread conspiracy to make their iPad or phone, iPhone, to Mm. develop a fault, Jules. It was just a rotten experience to see this side of human behaviour. Well, yes, absolutely. Although it's funny, isn't it? I, I'm sorry that you had to see that, and I'm sorry these people were so unpleasant. I mean, I think the problem is, is that is that sometimes these big brands, particularly, kind of dig their own graves, if you see what I mean. And and it's funny how I do feel that Apple has become the kind of poster brand for middle class entitled people. So it doesn't surprise me that you had this experience mm. in an Apple store. I mean, I had to. I went to it. My iPod went wrong before Christmas, and I had to go to um, the Brighton Apple store, and it was an official Apple store, and it was not very long before Christmas in their shopping mall, like you say. So mm. it was it was very busy and. It was, you know, I'd made an appointment at the Genius Bar and I turned up and an absolutely charming American girl. I don't think she could have been more than in her early 20s. I suspect she might have been a student at the university, um, helped me and fixed it. And it was free because it was a Genius Bar appointment. Um, My iPad wasn't in warranty, but because it was a software issue rather than a hardware issue, I think I was I was I, I offered to pay and I was told, no, I didn't need to. And that was a that was a fabulous experience. But like you say, the I mean, you could have thrown a tantrum on the basis that you were told something on the mm. phone, and then when you slept into Windsor, you had a completely different experience. And I think, although it is not right on people to take it out on the people at the front on the well, front line, it, yeah. having said that, the companies get themselves into this position by not offering good service. Mm. The amount of times I've had to ring O2, my phone provider, or BT, and are told different things by different people. This is the problem with these big organisations. They can't glue up together. They can't. They can't mm. link. You know, one person will literally tell you something different to somebody else. And I think that's why, you know, you end up with these. I'm not defending the, the middle class snot bags in the eyes and the the Apple store, but equally, mm. I can see why people get to this point because it's never the fault of the. It's rarely the fault of the person at the counter. But having said that, they end up becoming mm. your kind of 
you know, they come they because they are the front line and they are the human face of that particular organisation. It's them that unjustly end up taking the flack. Although having said that, although I do not condone rude behaviour to mm. shop assistants, um, I did have a very funny incident in a cafe in in Thorpe Ness in Suffolk some years ago now. Would have been about five or six years ago, mm. where there was this. It's it's a little seaside resort Thorpe Ness that is tiny, but the Reddit it's very much a set. It's become a second homes and tourist place. The population literally trebles in the middle of the, in the sort of the summer season. And we went to this cafe that was a sort of a you know a typical you know little little seaside type cafe and. The service was appalling from start to finish. Again, <laughs> no section spoke to each other, and mm. there were young people working there who, unlike the cheery young people in the Apple store, didn't seem entirely bothered about what was going on. And I remember as we walked out, the girl rather casually and cheerily said to my dad, and we walked out, my dad, and the girl went, see you later. And my dad went, I very much doubt that's going to happen <laughs> as we walked out. And whilst it was exceptionally rude, and she probably didn't deserve it, having said that she had been one of our casual serving people and it's getting that line isn't it between mm. between not not being you know not being a div to to you know to, to underpaid un you know overworked under-resourced people who the failings of the organization is not their individual but equally i have come across services in shops sometimes where you know particularly in in supermarkets or in i hate to say it, my former employer marks and spencer where i'll pop in sometimes to buy mm. something and there will be two youngish people having long conversations mm. about what happened on their Saturday evening. And it gets to what you feel like saying, look, I'm sorry to bother you, but please can I spend some money in your shop to keep you in a job? So so it's it's getting that balance right between not taking it out people, but equally we the british service culture is not always very good. And I always think it's very telling that every time I go to hire a car from Enterprise, mm. um there's a big sign up in their reception area that says american customer service mm. in britain and i say well what does it say about our customer yes. service that they have to pretend that we are another country in order for it to be good what i tend to do in these situations what i did at the apple store in windsor is with a very sort of beaming smile and with a sort of sigh so completely non-aggressive i tend to say something like look i know it's not your fault I know, you know, you're not responsible for this, but it is very frustrating to be told to come to this store and then, you know, to be told what you've mm-hmm. just told me. So they kind of, they are kind of empathetic. They're on your side. Gets yeah. it out of my system, but I'm not yelling. I'm just saying it in a conversational way. But, it's, you know, it's interesting <clears throat> what you said about the passion people for Apple products, because this is exactly what the guy that was uh, dealing with me in the Apple store uh, where it all went well uh, said to me is that uh, people are so passionate about Apple products that when something goes wrong, they transfer that passion into hostility because they're so wedded to an Apple product that they feel kind of maligned. As I if know, and, the... that is, and that is super strange. Mm. And that is something that I think that Apple has very much fostered. Mm. And mm. I remember when I first got my iPhone, um, 2010, I think I first took it got an iphone and i remember saying to someone they've always had that reputation i remember saying to someone i'm not an apple person i'm not an apple nerd now i think there's something in a way genius but to use the word again but mm. also very you know it's not a great portent to the future and i think we've talked about um 
sort of tech magnates on this on this mm. podcast before particularly i read a book um ages ago called how to break up with your phone i mean i haven't but i have reduced my use as a result it's an excellent book it's by a lady called Catherine price i think and she's she talks about how these big people like steve jobs and elon musk and bill gates and people like that very much limit the social media you and zuckerberg you limit the social media use of their kids and it's almost like mm. drug pushers pushing a project that a product that they went then won't try but there's there's something very shadowy about these tech blokes that they are and they are inevitably blokes these big ceos that they are trying to create this almost i want to call it culture in that there is a culture around their their product but the the emphasis is very much on the word cult i think and Mm. how you know you suddenly become an apple person although i'm no great fan of the latter day simpsons there is a there is a brilliant um uh, they parody apple and lisa inevitably gets very into having an ipod and wants to become a cut they call it mapple but it's quite obvious Mm. what they're talking about (laughs) and uh, and they go to the mapple store and lisa you know wants to be a mapple person and the idea that if you have an ipod or an iphone or an ipad you suddenly become this kind of cool forward thing person and apple play a lot on that but then of course it means that they have to reap the benefits of what they sow which is you know snotty entitled middle class people coming into their shop you know hysterical because the the part of their identity that rightly or wrongly they begin they've begun to value is failing but then it's not apple as a company that bears the brunt it's the poor kids on you know eight pounds an hour in red t-shirts that whose job it is to try and fix your neurosis that, that end up bearing the brunt of that yes and i've just become rather weary of witnessing this sort of behaviour, particularly mm. here in the home counties, I see it a lot. Why will Juliet always be able to spot her car in a car park? <laughs> that, that's next. We're dealing with all the huge issues on this week's podcast. That's next after Polly Jean Harvey.
very much enjoying this it comes from an album called the desert sessions volumes nine and ten the desert sessions is a project run by josh hom of the queens of the stone age uh, he got up to volumes nine and ten and he but he'd done this over a period of about six years from 97 to 2003 usually they would come out as single volumes but seven and eight and nine and ten were both released as a sort of a pair if you see what i mean and he basically takes a load of musicians that he knows and likes to the desert for two weeks uh, without having really done any prep and they just write and record spontaneously for two weeks and this is the result of of this it's uh, Chris Goss who's a a long time Mm. Queens of the Stone Age associate and PJ Halvey literally went into a room for four minutes with him and an acoustic guitar and her singing and recorded it once and that was the recording of it and then it's never been performed again since apparently that was the only time and I think it's one of her strongest ever vocal performances I think I think it's it's just terrific this terrific roar but it's very well directed I think as well and now it's called There Will Never Be A Greater Time yeah it's absolutely or amazing. a better time I, I always forget which one it is because they change in the song don't they between yes. the two but it's a, it's a terrific I think it's There Will Never Be A Better it Time is, but yeah. I think it is brilliant I do think it's one of her strongest performances yeah it's absolutely amazing uh, Jules you and I exchanged um, uh, messages a bit during the week because we were looking mm. with, with Eyes of Envy uh, this week at, at Variety magazine which published details of the condo PJ Harvey is selling in West Hollywood for a cool $2.975 million. As, as we were saying, a property she bought in 2003 for $649,000. So, so tidy profit there for PJ, but what a property it is. If anybody wants to go and have a look at it at Variety magazine, it's yeah, a absolutely. gorgeous place. And, she, she's, and I, I get the impression about her that, that mm. this is very much an accidental mm. property magnate. And she's someone who has sort of become much, you know, sort of more revered in the last few years. And I remember reading a review of her, a live show of hers at the Eden Project, I think, in the early 2000s in the NME. Mm. And I remember someone used the quote in it about how she was suddenly revered in a way that she perhaps wasn't mm. always, or at least not truly well-loved as she is now. And as someone put it in this review, if you don't follow fashion, fashion will eventually follow you. And so yes. PJ Harvey buying her sort of townhouse, not townhouse, it's like an apartment flat thing, isn't it? Yeah, condominium, in, yeah. Yeah, apartment, absolutely. Yeah. In, um, in, uh, I don't speak American in the way that you do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in America that now is being sold for four times what she bought yes. it for, four five times what you bought it for you know that's just one of those accidental things isn't it really but no i i did if you'd asked me this week if i thought i'd wake up and be in the bathroom brushing my teeth and reading about pj Harvey's property portfolio <laughs> I, I i wouldn't have said i was but thank you for facilitating that for me. <laughs> we were talking about the importance of smart devices such as the iphone in, in our lives and many of us rely um, just as much on our cars. I was fascinated this week with the story of a couple from Cheltenham, um, which is here in the UK, who parked their car somewhere near Cheltenham Hospital. Um, a mature couple. Um, mm. And they parked their car just over a week ago. But when they came out after their appointment at the hospital, they couldn't remember where they, where they parked, parked the car. And they tried to find it, but had to give up and go home. But the story has a happy ending because their granddaughter put out an appeal on social media and five days later the car was found safe and sound and it was about a half a mile from the, the hospital and it was still where they parked it. The only downside is that it had three parking tickets on it, which is, <laughs> you know, that's the UK summed up in a, in a nutshell there. But Jules, 
You've recently taken ownership of a new car and there's no danger at all of you losing it in a car park. It'll stand out like a beacon. Yeah, absolutely. And I am, I, I've taken quite a lot of flack for this from mm. my very dear friends locally. So I hope that um, I hope that, that this will that, 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 you know, that I can sort of have some catharsis here. Mm. But I bought a new car recently. Um, I have caused to buy a new car. So I did. And um, there's been a, a, a strong debate over what colour it is. Now, according to the manufacturer, it is orange. I don't feel it is orange. I no. described it as light red. Only to be told loudly by a table of people in the pub. There is no such colour as light red. So. <laughs> Apparently, it is not light red. We've had some opinions of salmon. We've had some opinions of coral. Um, it, it, you know, there's, there's, there's a shifting sand what colour my mm. car is. But I think this best summed up. It's a Citroen C1, and it's now called CTM. Um, it's it's sort of nickname is CTM. Its full given name is Citroen Tikka Masala because of its rather sort of <laughs> off, off pink colour. But the good thing about it is, is that it is visible from 300 yards away on the seafront where I park and as my friend put it possibly also from space but uh, but this this sort of car <laughs> brightly coloured car is um is I I I've done a bit of research into this yeah. and I don't, one often finds oneself in, in unexpected places when researching, hence why we turn to an article I discovered in the Daily Express, which oddly isn't about Princess Diana, house prices or the weather, so that in itself is an oddity. Um, black, it's, this has come from January this year, black have become the nation's favourite shade of motor car for the first time in five years. So they've got an expert in to explain what, colour, what your colour car says about you. Terrence mm. so uh, so we've got Angela Wright who mm. is it always surprises me what people do for a living who is billed here as an expert in colour psychology who has advised many companies including yeah. Ford I love that you can make a, a, yes. a, a, make a, a living a, in such a way yeah, yeah. um says matching the finish on your car to your character traits is crucial and can also be a great indicator of an owner's outlook on life. I can't believe this has been written, but anyway. <laughs> and it can even be a reflection of the times. Colour is a universal language and influences so many of the everyday choices we make, says Wright. Specific personality types have an affinity with certain colours, whether it is buying clothes, painting your house, or choosing a new car. Um, <laughs> um, but it, often it is almost entirely subconscious so we can be drawn to colors without even realizing so she's uh she's gone through the top 10 cars here what color is your car terence it is chelsea blue i actually bought it because um it is exactly the color of chelsea's football strip right which which it doesn't surprise me in the slightest mm. the driver the drivers of these cars are said to be reliable and trustworthy Damn. blue makes you think of the sea and clear skies which is probably <sighs> everyone loves this color says right on cars it is the choice of people who are quiet and very wary of all the hysteria around them mm. blue is not an emotional color it is for people who are intellectual sensible and like to think things through we so weirdly they do not have um so we can we can we can go for orange on me if we mm. are saying it's orange but let's start with red because i feel that mm. it shows our trusting personalities mm. red cars are not for the timid and chosen <laughs> by those who are flamboyant have a zest for life and like to stand out from the crowd which white may explain why it is the color of every boy races dream car the ferrari red is a stimulating color which sets the pulse racing and raises the blood pressure says right a red car can be associated with being exhilarating and exciting exciting but also with being aggressive and demanding <laughs> So that 
It is very much a male colour, an expression of physical strength, but not particularly subtle. You associate red cars with strong, outgoing people who can be a bit bossy. Well, I say sod you, Angela Wright, but we can move on to orange. Only 0.8% of people in Britain, according to this research, drive orange cars. Um... The drivers of orange cars have a sunny disposition and are most likely to be up for a laugh. They need to be because the resale value of orange cars is amongst the lowest. Oh dear. The fun colour for a car says, right, it signifies playfulness. So that I feel that is more me. Rather than aggressive and demanding, I would very much like to be seen as sunny and playful. It, to match the outside of the car, which is, you know, it has to be said quite loud. Um, there mm. are stripy interiors inside. And as my friend puts it, excuse me, can you turn that down a bit, please? So, <laughs> But maybe, maybe I have ended up with a colour a color car that matches my personality. Also, there is a piece on Auto Trader, which is um, <laughs> the headline of which is, you don't actually want that bright coloured car, <laughs> which I'm quite enjoying as a sort of a, as a thing. So, so I didn't realise that when I was choosing my car the other day, I was inadvertently uh, pinholing myself as either, you know, of a sunny disposition, flamboyant or aggressive and demanding. Well, I think it's a delicious colour it's not a colour I've ever experienced before I have to say it's very vivid <laughs> but, life never mind colour, yeah. <laughs> but it, it makes me think of you I know it's not pink but it makes me see you as like Lady Penelope in Thunderbirds <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm very I'm very pleased with that and, I, and I'm glad that I'm not a white black or grey car person I must admit it's hmm. um it's very um it's it's oh, oh that interesting. It's Auto Trader article. I don't know why I'm very proud of this. When it says that you don't actually want that bright colour car, it's not saying you don't want to do that. What it's saying is you will never go for it because most people buy black, grey, or white cars, and that is just you know you tell your friends you want it, but you will never actually take the plunge. I have so in your face, Auto Trader, and in your face, Doctor Angela Wright or whatever her name is. I had some some friends who had a very similar experience to that Cheltenham couple we mentioned earlier. They went as they did for all the home games to go and see Fulham play at. Their home ground, Craven Cottage, just off Fulham Palace Road in West London. And um, as usual, they were cutting it fine in terms of time. And so uh, to try and get there in time for the kickoff, they parked the car in one of the side roads, legged it to Craven Cottage. But yeah. this, this is the thing. Anyone who knows those roads around Fulham Palace Road will know that it's a warren of small streets. Mm. All look the same. Um, rows of terrace, Victorian terraces. And my friends hadn't noticed the name of the road they parked in. And so after a couple of hours of randomly walking around, they had to give up and they came home by train. And then the next day they went back up again, but driving you know, in another car and they ended up spending another couple of hours but this time systematically driving up and down every single street oh, from Hammersmith to Putney Bridge until finally locating the car when of course they both said oh yeah now I remember, I remember <laughs> this now I, I remember that lamppost tree and very, exactly. very street furniture well I, I used to have similar experiences when I lived in an area of St Leonard's called Warrior Square and it had very random parking rules in the outside of the square was um, decriminalised so you could park wherever mm. um, which meant that everyone parked on our side of the square which meant the other side which was criminalised mostly some parts were decriminalised it, it, it was easy to get a space there but as a result of which I used to spend my entire life trying to find a space around Warrior Square <laughs> and the surrounding roads and I remember I was often to be found early mornings confusedly wandering around the roads 
pointing my car unlocker at various various random cars in the hope because I didn't have my wonderful wonderfully aggressive and demanding orange car no. then so a red light bright red car so I was desperately trying to find it and I was introduced to someone at a party once and they said I recognize you from somewhere and I said oh, do you do you and I said and they went you're that woman that walks around Warrior Square trying to find her car at, at hour seven in the morning so I feel your friend's pain uh, it, it became part of my my aggressive and demanding brand <laughs> <laughs> the worst lyrics of all time that's coming next um i hadn't heard this next track um until a couple of weeks ago and now i'm completely in love with it it's from 1968 it's pp arnold and the small faces piece of mod psychedelia i suppose it reached number 41 in the uk in in january 1968 written and produced by steve marriott and ronnie lane pp arnold with the small faces if you think you're groovy (laughs) 
Mm, I like that. A great deal. Mm. I'm surprised you never come across it before. I know, I'm, I'm surprised myself. I've yeah. tried to come across it because um, the, one of the things that got me into Norm Tom, for much that they were all derided at the time, the Paul Weller headed kind of dad rock strain of Britpop, which was, you know, I was talking about someone last night, which was very criticised for mostly valid reasons, given that quite a lot of it was quite lumpen at the time and not as, mm. not many people, I think John Harris has made this point, not many people had the wealth of, of R&B and, and Motown and Northern Soul more knowledge that Paul Weller has um, ended up mm. producing these kind of lumpen uh, approximations mm. but uh, Ocean Colour Scene who really did take a lot of the flack for that had P.P. Arnold singing on one of their records, um, I think it was from Marching Already, a beautiful thing and mm. it was really lovely and as a result of which I got very into P.P. Arnold as a result which then opened the door towards that kind mm. of Northern Soul mod sound, so thank uh, not many people might say this but thank you Ocean Colour Scene Absolutely, I'm, I must seek out that track with Ocean Colour Scene and P.P. Arnold. I don't think I know that either. So, it's really nice, mm. actually. Now, I mentioned earlier that I visited an Apple store this week. It was situated in a rather overwhelming shopping mall, very mm. loud, just west of London. And as I walked through the mall on my way to Apple, the music system in the in the mall was playing Desiree's perky 1998 hit, Life. And mm-hmm. it reminded me that it contained one of the worst lyrics of all time. I don't want to see a ghost. It's the sight (laughs) I fear the most. I'd rather have a piece of toast. Watch the evening news. I mean, it's not exactly... Oh, life. I mean, to be fair, it does make me want to break into song, but perhaps for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, it's it's not exactly Sylvia Plath, though, is it? This (laughs) this got us thinking of our favourite examples of the worst lyrics in pop history. So I give a a dishonourable mention to Razorlight from 2005 when Johnny Burrell came up with... I met a girl, she asked me my name, I told her what it was. This is almost Shakespearean, I suppose. Um, but we, we can't compile a list of the worst lyrics without hitting up Toto's splendid Africa. Oh, um, gosh. But one, whenever I've DJed at people's birthday parties, particularly people with a rock hmm. flavour, that is, that is requested almost constantly. I've never been a huge fan of it, but I did once have to play it, uh, having had it requested from five different people hmm. at a birthday party. It, it is very popular. It, it, it often pops up on oldest stage like smooth radio and magic and so on here in in the uk it does have atmosphere but it also has the lyric the wild dogs cry out in the night as they grow restless longing for some solitary company i know that i must do what's right sure as Kilimanjaro rises like olympus above the serengeti Um, i mean that is nearer to plath than desiree was in fairness well, it is a, it is a bit grimace worthy though, but it, but it, the the thing is, it's also the way the clumsy way that they drag out the word Serengeti because they say it rises like Olympus above the Serengeti. Yes, which, exactly. We've got to get this in because it's about Africa. But how? How do we shovel it in? It's, it's a bit like um, I think it's an issue that when the lyricist is a different person to the the, the, the that person who writes the music, and so they you know they they're working two different agendas it's a bit like elton john and bernie torpin and i always think of elton's uh, elton on daniel i can see the red tail lights heading for spain yes could you not have found another word that would have perhaps <laughs> fitted that better do you have any examples of uh, or two of 
clunky lyric writing, Yes, Jules. I do. Although before that, hmm. can I just give a shout out to, there is an excellent Twitter site, um, Twitter account called hmm. The News by Desiree, which um, <laughs> takes modern day news stories and fits them to the lyrics of life. So the original, the original I don't want to see a ghost. Um, Rather have a piece uh, of toast. It, it was, oh, I get the shivers is used after that kind of thing. So we have, for example, <laughs> World Cup is starting, Russia's host. I'm sure you guys, you guys will be engrossed. I'd rather have a piece of toast. Ooh, I get the shivers. And they are, and, and it's excellent. Whoever does this account. Um, this has really messed my head. Russian journalist, not dead. Turns out his wife was quite misled. Ooh, I get the shivers. So I could spend the next 10 minutes. Roseanne posted racist tweet. She wishes she had kicked delete now off the air in a heartbeat. Ooh, I get the shivers. So big shout out to the News by Desiree's account. But um, my clunkiest lyrics of all time ever. Both in themselves and the way in which they were delivered. Um, somewhat surprisingly, perhaps, I bring us to the career of Madonna. Oh, oh, um, right. So Madonna, I, I feel that the Madonna's be- original best of is called The Immaculate Collection for a very good and justified mm. reason. That I do think that she released a, a string of absolutely untouchable albums and singles from the early 80s right the way through to probably music in 2000 I think was her last great album of that run I have a lot of time for confessions on the dance 2006 but she was you know doing brilliantly both both you know in her own talents and in her sort of shrewd way of picking producers that worked well with her and she'd done a lot of work with William Orbit I would say that Ray of Light with him is probably her high point that song I would say but Things started to go a bit wrong for her in the late 90s, early 2000s. She started touring again. She had the disaster that was swept away mm. um, with, with, with Guy Ritchie. Um, she was in Up for Grabs at the Wyndham's Theatre to University Bad Reviews. She, um, she was nominated for a Golden Raspberry for Worst Song for Die Another Day in the James Bond film and had a cameo that was described in The Guardian as incredibly wooden, which I think is quite kind in its understatement, really. And so... There was started to be signs that perhaps Oregon was not quite well with Madonna's judgment anymore. Perhaps it wasn't quite as, you know, shrewd as it has been in the past. So she produces this album called American Life. And um, it uses William Orbit, I don't think is as involved in this, if he is at all. And there is a um, a, a, a chap called Merwai, who is a French producer and was a French uh, dance music artist at the time, who she kind of went for, I think. Who, who she decided, oh, you know, that that is that is the thing that that's how I want to be. And so the opening track of the album is, I think it was the first single. It's called American Life, and it is. Um, well, so it so it opens up and it sounds like a like a just like a Murai track and it's quite a it's quite a clumsily lyric song anyway. So so it starts. Do I have to change my name? Will it get me far? Should I lose some weight? Am I going to be a star? And you think oh, this isn't quite what I was expecting. Um, post post music and then it. It continues, I tried to be a boy, I tried to be a girl, I tried to be a mess, I tried to be the best. I guess I did it wrong. That's why I wrote this song, this type of mod for me so it can it, it's very most modern and um to put it kindly and it starts to you know and continues on in this vein and it gets to about two thirds of the way through and you think well this isn't good but it will be over soon so so you know it's <laughs> the best thing i've ever heard but it will be over soon and then 
there's this section where she starts swearing and going F it repeatedly. And the beats start to kind of become a bit more staccato and a bit more hip-hop. And there's a pause where she goes, ugh. And then there's the sound of her taking a breath. And there's this horrible moment of Penny dropping with the, with the listener where you think, oh, my Christ, Madonna is about to rap. And, and it's going to hit you like a sort of a wall of water. And it, turn, it turns me into Sergeant Wilson from, a, from a Dad's Army. I say, Madonna, are you sure that's terribly wise? And, and so she goes. So she starts the rap. And I will try, and, and she does it in this weird accent, because, again, she cannot make things rhyme. She hasn't made it to rhyme. So we're going to have to, and I'm also going to have to bleep something out, so apologies. Right. But so Madonna takes a breath, and you grip the table or the card <laughs> or the steel, where you are, and then she goes, I'm drinking a soy latte. I got a double chate. It goes right through my body, and you know I'm satisfied. I drive my Mini Cooper, and I'm feeling super duper. Yo, they tell me I'm a trooper, and you know I'm satisfied. I do yoga and Pilates, and the room is full of hotties, so I'm checking out their bodies, and you know I'm satisfied. I'm digging on the isotopes. This metaphysics poop is dope, and all of this can give me hope. You know I'm satisfied. I've got a lawyer and a manager, an agent and a chef, three nannies and assistant, and a driver and a jet, a trainer and a butler, and a bodyguard or five, a gardener and a stylist. Do you think I'm satisfied? I'd like to express my extreme point of view. I'm not a Christian and I'm not a Jew. I'm just living out the American dream and I just realised that nothing is what it seems. At which point, thankfully, she starts thinking, where do you even start with that? God's sake, Madonna. Why was there no one there that went, I really don't think you should do this? I mean, it is bad on so many levels i mean the the, the uh, it says something that the that uh, you could you, you go through quite a lot of analysis before you even get to the fact that madonna has essentially said that hindus buzzis muslims you know uh, me- <coughs> sikhs major world religions are extreme it is extreme not to be a christian or a jew so that is you know deeply problematic and also I, I have a problem with the, the, the section about the manager and the lawyer and the nannies and the agent and the chef and the all sorts of uh, the bodyguards, all five. I like the fact there are two numbers in Madonna's world, one and five. Um, I, I, that's the same way as I find it difficult as I do find that Life's Been Good to Me song by Joe Walsh of the Eagles, oh, where yeah. he goes on about how wonderful his life is. He's like saying, great, I'm delighted that you're so happy with your skin with all of your material goods. Do you have to do this on my time? Can you not just do this elsewhere? So I did feel that there might have been songs that are worse than, than Madonna's American Life. I'm sorry I didn't pick it for the podcast now. I might subject us all to it next week so I don't have to suffer alone. But um, yeah, I am I am not a fan of Madonna. She's not Debbie Harry, is she? <laughs> Oh dear! <laughs> oh, I'm, I, I must listen to that. I have to just as soon as we finish. Maybe is better than mine, but 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 it's it's not a you know I wouldn't say it was a, it was a classic. There have been even no when she's rapped has managed to do a better job of it than that. <laughs> I've got a, a couple more just to throw into the the skip of awfulness. Um, I've always been been. <laughs> Always been bemused by Thin Lizzy's uh, hit song from, I think it was the 70s, Jailbreak. Uh, Tonight there's going to be a jailbreak somewhere in the town. Now, (laughs) I'm just thinking that's somewhere in the town. My guess is that the location will be the jail. (laughs) Not the best informant ever, is it? You can imagine some police informant that's been put up in a local hotel for many weeks. And they go, right, so what what, what reconnaissance have you got? There's going to be a jailbreak somewhere. Or that having to say, if that town's more than one jail, why would anyone want to live there? Very true, very true. I I would also... 
No, I've, I've, also, I've got Culture Club and uh, Boy George's epic, of course, War, War is Stupid and People are Stupid. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I would have went to dream. It was so poetic and moving that it brought Ronald Reagan and Mikhail Gorbachev to reach a nuclear entente at the Iceland summit. Such was the influence of that song. Absolutely. There are, there are some... Um, I've got some more examples. Oh, great. Things. So, um, like you say, when pop stars try to deal with their big philosophical questions, mm. it seldom goes well. Um, the Killers, I'm down on my knees searching for the answer. Are we human or are we dancer? I uh, think that, that's, you know, that's... I, I've always hated that because it doesn't make sense. It's, no, I'm very much enjoying... Um, although I should find this offensive, I just think it's hilarious. And also the way the world should be. Uh, from All Apologies by Nirvana, what else could I say? Everyone is gay. Thanks for that, Kirk Cobain. That's superb. Also very much enjoying... Um, Innuendo and rock stars, mm. not always great. No. Um, one of my favourite misheard lyrics ever is Robert Plant saying, I want to give you every inch of my glove on her or <laughs> love. It actually means love. But anyway, um, Kiss um, from Burn Bitch Burn. Oh, babe, I want to put my log in your fireplace. Oh. Well, that is a kind of a kiss, but I think I'm all right for now. Mm. Um, my, my personal favourite, I think, um, speaking of big, serious questions, there are, there are some serious topics that need to be handled in a, care, in a careful way. I would have to say to Snap that I'm as serious as cancer when I say rhythm is a dancer oh, is not Lord. is not necessarily the sure-footed way to deal with that. Uh, oh my goodness me! Yes. Well, my my last example of the worst lyrics of all time. Um, let's salute the Cranberries and uh, a track from their their album uh, to the faithful departed and, and a, a song with a rather grim title. We're already getting off on the wrong foot because it's got a grim title. It's called I Just Shot John Lennon. Oh gosh, I was going to say what, well, and also, if you were going to confess to a crime, would it not be better in a police station rather than on a major label? And, and then they'd be in the jail, where somewhere in the town. Yes, and, absolutely, and, they'd and, have to break out, but, yes. it, but you know they wouldn't quite know where to break out from. This is the lyric from a cra- the Cranberries. I just shot John Lennon. It was the fearful night of December eight. He was returning home from the studio late. It, he had perceptively known that it wouldn't be nice because in 1980 he paid the price. Oh, God. This is almost like a year five history assembly, it, I must it, say. It I'm, not, I'm not particularly... Um, I, I'm not particularly... Um, yeah, the level of his... You know, obviously, God rest her soul, Dolores Reardon, mm. but um, equally, I'm not... not you know, I, 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 that doesn't have the level of historical detail that would satisfy me. We can, we can end on a slightly cheerier note, mm. I think. Um, I quite... In, um, I, I, enjoying... Um, Des, on the theme of Desiree's mm. kind of non-sequitur type lyrics, where you're just yeah. kind of trying to find things that rhyme. Um <laughs> So we've got LFO Summer Girls. New kids on the block had a bunch of hits. Chinese food makes me sick. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> I don't quite know it's how just, those two things are ever going to, you know. random. And it doesn't, it hit and, hits and sick is not even, no. a, not even a clear rhyme. So, you know, there are many pitfalls to be had. Well, none of the none of these. Let's say, none of them are going to trouble the Pulitzer Prize uh, committee. There, yeah, are they? And, 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 and there's something addictive about bad lyrics. I mm. cannot stop thinking of them now. Um, we can end on this kind of Confucius set. Let's let's stop me, but please stop me after I've ended <laughs> on this Confucian Confucius style note. Why can't this be loved by Van Halen? Only time will tell if we stand the test of time.
Oh, well, I mean, that's a, that is a very deep philosophical note it on which to finish this section. So, yes. Assuming, Jules, that you're not taking duties this week as a VAR referee at the World Cup. <laughs> yeah. Do you know, they've been on the, I did wonder why I had um, so many missed calls. They've been on the phone a lot. If, that's, if, if you're not doing that, where might we find you in the coming seven days? Well, I've, I've, I've been a 24-hour party person over the last couple of days. It surprised me as much as it surprised anyone. Um, I'm doing a few things next week, Ooh, which are, you know, so I'm so there is an excellent film quiz at the uh, Printworks in Hastings on Thursday the 21st of June, um, which it promises to be very good. We've been promised a Doctor Who bingo round. So <laughs> if that's your sort of thing, do pop down to that. On Friday the 22nd, I may be going to see Ye Nuns, but the regular listeners know how much I like like those they are appearing at the green door store in in brighton um publicizing their new single i don't want to do this again um slash, uh, slash don't worry and i'm at the open labor conference on saturday the 23rd of june up in london um i think it's at ucl um you can look into what if you're a labor-minded type person open labor is a, an organization which encourages a pluralism of debate and uh, i'm standing for election to its national committee so mm-hmm. you can go and have a look at that um we've got various speakers at that um and i'm delighted to say that my my good pal sarah rowan is chairing a panel on the economy there as well so i'm very much looking forward to doing that radio wise i will be back with the good ship indie wonderland next week wednesday um until 8 to 10 p.m and that's barricaderadio.com indie alt rock and miscellaneous excellent thanks to you for listening and yes, absolutely. Oh, oh, I mean, uh, Terence should be doing thanking for both of us, but I am delighted as well. Thank you ever so much, chaps. And thanks to executive producers, Rona and Hillary, this week. Absolutely. We've got a crack team now, haven't we? Really We've do. almost got an entourage, I think. <laughs> um, another one of your hypnotic choices to play us out, Jules. Absolutely, yes. Um, I, I Again, I played this on my show last week. I mm. came across this on Late Junction on, um, on, on Radio 3, BC Radio 3, which I'm a very big fan of, but I don't listen to often enough mm. and i made the effort to listen again on the on the on the on the radio player to some things and i really liked this i was aware of this band's work they're a band called drinks um they are a, a collaboration between two people they're a collaboration between the uh, the welsh singer songwriter kate lebon and um and a chap called tim presley i presume that kate is no relation to simon and tim is no relation mm. to elvis but they play mm. in this duo and they he was from a band called white fence and I just really like this. It doesn't really go anywhere, but it does amble around to rather great effect, I think. It's from their new album, which is brilliantly called, I rather like this, Hippo Light, spelled L-I-T-E. So if you can't quite deal with a full hippo, do please buy this album. <laughs> it came out in April of this year, and this from this album is, uh, is called Real Outside. <laughs> Thank you.
Listening to a DAC Media production. I got a lawyer and a manager, an agent and a chef, three nannies and assistant and a driver and a jet, a trainer and a butler and a bodyguard of five, a gardener and a stylist. Do you think I'm? Sad?